2: Greetings everyone. I hope you are well. I have a very special announcement to make. For your listening pleasure, I have brought on one of... We took it all. We brought them to our land.
0: An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become?
1: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, some of our bottles can be remade in a whole new way, using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles, using no new plastic, except the caps and labels. Learn more at madetoberemade.org. The
2: best narrators that I look up to personally and have always fallen asleep to his stories. My special guest for this evening is The Sandman. If you have not heard of The Sandman, please check the description below and check out his channel. You will not be disappointed. Also below, you can find links to the Back to Ashes and Phoenix Fire Narrations merch store if you would like to peek and see what is available. If you like what you are hearing, you are more than welcome to buy me a coffee. It would be greatly appreciated, as I appreciate each and every one of you. You can also become a member of Back to Ashes for just $1.99 a month. Perks include getting early access to videos, getting top priority responses in the comments, and getting your name as a special shout-out in the beginning of each video, plus more. Now, with all that being said, it is time to get you your dose of vocal melatonin that you always crave. Let's go back to the ashes, for when we arise from the ashes, we are a better, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, or tuck in and get warm. And let's enjoy these short, scary stories. Story number two and number three are true stories.
0: Below the buried ruins of the Vatican necropolis, there's an intricate hive system of tunnels and bunkers that was constructed for archiving purposes and shelter in the likelihood of nuclear war. I was employed in the security unit underneath St. Peter's Basilica and had access to Vatican secrets. The secrets ranged from the skeletal remains of non-humanoid extraterrestrial life To the third secret of Fatima, to the church's very own black book, to ancient and advanced technologies. One of the secrets involved a machine said to be built in the 1950s. It was created by a team led by a man named Father Ernetti. He was an Italian physicist, a respected historian, and a Benedictine monk with the help of 10 other scientists. Father Ernetti built the chronovisor with the ability to see into the past and potentially the future. Stories came out about how Ernetti and his team had used the machine and witnessed the last days of Christ, including the Last Supper and Crucifixion, that they'd witnessed firsthand speeches by Napoleon in the early 1800s Cicero to the Roman Senate in 63 B.C., but images from the chronovisor were leaked and the conspiracy was easily debunked. What people don't know is that the chronovisor was a fabrication planted by the Vatican and spread to the public to misdirect attention away from any potential real leaks in the future of what they'd actually built and the Church's plan worked perfectly, as did the real invention. It was called the Tiresias device and could receive audio recordings of the future. It had a series of antennas and sensors that were able to pick up frequencies and wavelengths of every kind. What I understood was that it identified and decoded electromagnetic radiation left behind from past events. It was then programmed to use that information to assemble and predict future events. The data received is interpreted into sounds that were recorded at varying lengths. Similar to tuning a radio, you could twist a special knob that would focus the antenna into better clarity or even to the device's version of other stations, which some scientists claimed were different dimensions. In security footage, I'd seen the device used by priests and scientists many times over. I learned how to turn it on, charge it up, and pinpoint the targeted location. In all my years working there, I managed to sneak into the Tiresias room and use the device three times. And each time, I went 30 years further into the future, but at the same location, which was Warsaw, where I was born. All three recordings I heard were different, and they were the types of futures only conceivable in nightmares. The first recording was just over three minutes in length. It started slow, then came clarity. It was early morning, I could hear cars, buses, horns, factories, people. It was downtown Warsaw during morning rush hour. Thunder began to roll in. Then, a single tornado siren erupted the city, followed by more and more. Sirens and alarms began to pierce out from the downtown core. There was confused yelling and shouting from people. In the distance, the deep hum and heavy rumble of gargantuan machines began to approach. A horrifying mechanical horn blared out. The confused yelling from people turned to screams of panic and horror. Explosions and gunfire were erupting from what sounded like fighter jets and aircrafts tearing across the sky towards the machines. The battle had commenced. It was chaotic, at least on the human side. Our attacks were uncoordinated and sporadic, and they weren't stopping the machines. The sounds of the machines approaching continued, four-legged, one after the other. Bump, 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 bump. Never breaking pace, never slowing, never backward, not fast but unstoppable. The battle against them raged as the machines got to the city, an impossibly loud sonic boom erupted. I assumed it was an EMP, because everything on the human side went quiet, except for the humans. They continued to yell and scream as the machines rolled over the city, destroying it completely. Then the screaming and yelling stopped, and there were only the machines. The machines continued on to the next city, their horrendous sounds getting quieter as they disappeared over the mountains. It was the scariest thing I'd experienced in my life at that moment, hearing those large mechanical horns blaring for miles away before they even got to the city. They weren't trying for a surprise attack. It didn't matter if they gave away their approach. You had all the time in the world to get up and leave before they got to your city. Eventually, you needed to stop. And they would catch up because they don't need to stop. And they definitely don't go back. They were methodical and impossible to unbalance. It was like trying to argue with a metronome. In the end, I couldn't tell if it was an alien race with large advanced technologies in the form of heavily engineered machines, or if it was a self-aware AI system that had decided to give the human race its last dinner check. The next time I used the Tiresias device was six months later, and I targeted 60 years ahead this time. I hoped to hear the sounds of civilization back, but I didn't. And it was even more frightening than the first. The recording lasted just over four minutes. There was a consistent, deep drone, almost like the hum of the earth. Then there were other sounds, distinct and frightening, but irregular and warped by some form of compression. I enhanced the recording and passed it through several filters, and discovered the sounds were distorted because they were underwater. Warsaw was underwater, a lot of water. The sounds were analyzed and notified of some frightening information. They were compressed by water, and based on the pounds per inch calculated, The audio was at the bottom of a newly formed trench with over 10,000 feet of water above it of the now expanded Baltic Sea, which Warsaw was at the bottom of. The strange sounds amidst the water were projected out in waves of awful guttural pulses from what was calculated to be massive, obscene creatures. Some new forms of aquatic organisms. After the audio had been cleaned, what I heard was the nightmarish version of a humpback or great blues beautiful melodic tones. Amidst the loud and frightening pulses were a myriad of high-pitched whistles, it sounded like the creatures were screaming at each other. The sounds got closer and erupted in all-out violence. There was thrashing, whistling, and shrieking all from the disturbing versions of powerful underwater larynxes, vocal cords, and air sacs. Then it got quiet, and the stillness of the ocean's depths resumed. The recording ended. It was a full year before I brought myself back to the Tiresias device for a third listen. I inputted the details for 90 years ahead, and hoped for a better future this time what I got was something worse this recording was over five minutes long and had a perfect connection to the time and place I had targeted but there was nothing to hear no drone no static no atmosphere of any kind none of the haunting crackling of the planet's magnetic field there was nothing to clean up or run through filters. No pops or clicks to decipher, though I did all of that anyway, but received nothing back. Then the recording carried something more frightening than the bottom of the ocean. It carried the empty sound of space, the vast dark areas between stars and planets filled with nothing. My filters couldn't detect the hum of stars or planets nearby. It appeared there was nothing at all. Everything was gone. It was a terrifying thought that there was a point and not only our future, but likely, the entire universe where it would all end. There would be nothing, not a void or an abyss just nothing
2: the following is the story of Hannah a 24 year old HR admin at a mental health and physical health hospital in East Sussex, England the supernatural has always interested me I grew up watching Most Haunted and Ghost Hunters, and now I love BuzzFeed's Supernatural series. I don't think ghosts are real in the sense that you can see an apparition of someone who died, but I do believe you can communicate with other spirits who would go through a journey to be able to communicate. I also believe in being possessed and objects having spirits attached to them. When we experienced the odd imaginary friend situation and heard footsteps in the house, etc., we didn't jump to ghost until quite late on. It was one of those things where, if you'd watch it on a film, you'd say, why wouldn't you move out when you can hear things in the attic or running around upstairs? But we really didn't think much of it straight away. One of my cousins Who I lived with was only a child when it began. He was somewhat mischievous, but when he began to say, Bella Lucia made me do it, we were like, um, who? Bella Lucia was someone only my cousin Tom could see and talk to. Apparently, she was a girl who I think was about five years old. For context, When I was about 13, myself, my sister, and my dad moved into a bigger house with my auntie, uncle, and my two cousins, who were three and five at the time. It was a house that was relatively old, but nothing ancient. My sister and I shared a room on the ground floor. My dad was in a room next to us. We had our own bathroom downstairs. Upstairs, my cousins had their own room. My auntie and uncle had their room upstairs also. My youngest cousin Tom was a mischievous kid, and there were stories where he saw people. He once asked his mom, Who's that man in the kitchen? And upon investigating, there was no one there. When we moved into this house, he would start to misbehave and would say, Bella Lucia made me do it. It was such a specifically odd name. It made us think. What three-year-old would come up with such a name? Then, my sister and I started getting random bruises and hearing noises that spooked us. But we hadn't put two and two together. One night, I heard running upstairs, and I said to my auntie the next morning that I heard Tom run around and ask if he had had a rough night. She said no, that he slept all night in his bed. I was 10,000% sure I heard a little kid run about last night. They said he didn't wake them up at all, which he typically would. Bella Lucia would then start talking to Tom more and more, and he would say, Bella Lucia said it's time to go play upstairs now. We started to ask Tom who Bella Lucia was, and he was saying she's a little girl who likes to play, but we can't see her. We kind of thought he had an imaginary friend that's cute, but he would do really obscure and dangerous things that weren't like him, like trying to throw himself down the stairs chewing through electrical cords, hitting himself, etc. I kept thinking I could hear people in the kitchen, but when I'd go to look, no one was there. A few people mentioned similar experiences in the kitchen, where they thought someone was with them when they were all alone. Tom once told my sister that there was someone in the kitchen with her, and upon looking around, Only Tom was there. I think I could hear stuff from the attic when I was upstairs, and we even got someone to inspect the loft thinking there were animals because it was so noisy, but again, nothing was there. It was quite eerie. I asked my sister what she remembers, and she said she remembers a balloon that wasn't filled with helium. It was floating upwards and staying in the air. Then, being pulled about a bit, Tom said Bella Lucia was holding it. We started to feel more creeped out in the house and googled Bella Lucia. The name translates to beautiful light, which is often to do with angels or angelical meanings. We couldn't find anything too obvious other than a book called The Haunting of Bella Lucia. After we had that thought... We became terrified of Bella Lucia and who she'd ask my cousin to hurt next. It was minimal violence. Not much a three-year-old can do. We moved out a year or so after and my cousin hasn't had any weird contact with Bella Lucia since. He doesn't remember a thing, which is normally weird because kids tend to not forget imaginary friends. It never got to the point where we were too scared to stay there. We kind of laughed about it, but when Tom turned creepy, we all would start to freak out a bit. We were worried about him being hurt, but he seemed to have a good pact with Bella Lucia that would mean they'd play together and sometimes be naughty. I never thought about the fact that the next tenants might experience it because I assumed that whatever it was, it was attached. To my cousin. I don't think I could live in a haunted house, but I'd love to experience it for a night in a properly haunted place. I always think, though, when you know what kind of ghost or experience to expect, you create the fear yourself, and every noise you hear you assume is a ghost. I think if I lived somewhere and it had a friendly spirit in there, I wouldn't mind. But the first sign of a paranormal activity moment, and I think I'd be out. Although that's easier said than done, it would make a great viral video. Hannah's story is another example of not really knowing or understanding what is out there. More that one family member experienced the weird events. None more so than little Tom. If you have had experience with anything similar, please let us know. We'd love to hear your story. Katie was 21 and from Devon in the UK. She had always been very open to the supernatural and believed that there had to be some sort of life after death. The following is Katie's account of a paranormal experience she experienced while living in a house that was once an old mill. The house we were living in was called the old mill. My parents and I moved there when I was 14. It was a covered mill that still had a water wheel on the side. It didn't move. It had been inactive for some time along with all the cogs and workings of the will inside. It's been various different mills in its time. A sawmill, a paper mill, a flour mill. It was converted into a house in the 1950s, but the oldest parts of the house date back to the 12th century. I never really sensed anything when we first viewed the house. I just found the history of the building fascinating, and it was a beautiful house, so I was excited to move there. It was about six months later after we moved that a man first appeared to me in my bedroom. I remember the first time I saw him. I thought someone had broken in. I remember screaming and yelling to my parents, there's someone in the house. But by the time they got there, he had vanished. We searched the house. Nothing. No signs of him. I was a bit freaked out for a while, and I thought maybe my mind was just playing tricks with me. But then I saw him again about a week later, in the exact same spot in the corner of my bedroom. I remember I was home alone and screaming, what do you want? At this point, I still believed it was someone breaking in. I remember scrambling for my phone, ready to dial 999. But then he spoke to me and said, I just want to be friends. I used to live here. I just want to visit and see what you've done with the place. So, I asked him when did he live here. And that's when he said 1874. I thought he was kidding, but then I noticed his clothing, and it was very old-fashioned, very Victorian era. He wore a brown suit and held a top hat. I screamed again and ran out into the garden. Then, when I went back in, he was gone. I was so freaked. I didn't tell my parents because they would think I was out of my mind and seeing things. The next time he reappeared, he told me his name was Arthur. I always found it strange that he appeared in the exact same spot in the corner of my room. I also noticed he had a lot of bruising around his neck. I asked him about it once, but he looked very sheepish and then disappeared. He didn't look that old. Maybe his mid-forties. At the time, I was going through a rough spell with depression. He started appearing every time my head was in a dark place, and he started encouraging these negative thoughts and feelings. This is when I realized he wasn't just a spirit visiting somewhere he used to live. I felt he had caught on to the negative energy around me and encouraged it to make him stronger. This is when I told my parents. I think that they thought it was just voices in my head to do with my mental health. We sought medical help, but I felt that nobody took it seriously. That's when we decided we needed to move out of the house. The thing was. As soon as I left the house, it all stopped. He left me alone. The voices also stopped. That's how I knew I wasn't simply going mad or having some sort of episode. When I told him we were moving, he was very angry and told me, You're mine. That's when the figure of two girls appeared. Every time they appeared, he would disappear. They were about the same age I was at the time, 15, maybe 16 years old. One of them spoke to me, her name was Mary, and she just said that I needed to leave, to get out, and to save myself from him. I believed her. There was even one time where Mary possessed me. I have no recollection of any of it, so... I'll just tell you what my parents told me about it as they witnessed it. I was lying in my bed crying, and they were there comforting me. Apparently, my body went stiff for around 5-10 to seconds, and then I started talking, but it wasn't my voice at all. I was saying, get out, get out. You need to protect yourselves from him. Save yourselves. And then... I had a coughing fit and came back to myself. When my parents and I eventually moved out of the house, it felt like a breath of fresh air, like a weight had been lifted off our shoulders. Luckily, the sale of the parents' business meant we could buy and move into a new house before selling the old mill. I'm very appreciative that we managed to do that because I was just at the point where I needed to be out of the house. When we moved into our new home, we got to chatting to one of our neighbors and it turned out that he was a medium. We told him all about all of our experiences with the old house, and he offered to go down there with one of his medium friends to see if they picked up on anything. Now, we didn't tell him all the details, But what he and his medium friend found out was amazing. It turns out, Arthur was a priest who lived there in the 1870s. It turned out he had held two girls captive there, Mary and Elizabeth, and he accidentally killed them. He felt so guilty and ashamed of what he did that he ended up hanging himself. You guessed it, in the corner of what would become my bedroom. We managed to sell the house a year ago. We did tell the new owners that we had had some spiritual activity, but we didn't tell them the full extent of it all. We didn't want to sell the house to a family who had any young girls as we didn't want them experiencing anything similar to what I did. Luckily, it was a lovely elderly couple who bought it, And when we told them about it being slightly haunted, they thought it was rather splendid. I've now become very aware of the fact that I can sense spirits. Even in the home we live in, I sense my grandparents who passed away a few years ago. I wouldn't say I would never again live in a haunted house because I feel all houses have history to them, even new builds as there will be history to the land they're built on, just as long as the spirits are friendly and wish me no harm. My dearest daughter, if you are reading this, I have already passed on. I want you to know that I have always loved you, even if I haven't always shown it. I am so proud of the incredibly talented, smart, and independent woman I have watched you grow into. You look so much like your mother. I know I told you that your mother died during childbirth, but that isn't true. As of writing this letter, she is still very much alive. I wanted to spare you the pain of knowing the truth. therefore. I created a lie that would provide you with a sense of closure. I do not regret doing this, because the truth is far more horrifying. I do hope that you can forgive me, as I am about to burden you with the reality of the last 20 years. You see, your mother, Alyssa, is a killer. I met her at a party, after finishing medical exams. And was instantly drawn to her like a fly to a spider. She was a beautiful, charming, and seemed to have a dark side that I found more than a bit intriguing. We started dating almost immediately, and I fell head over heels in love with her. I introduced her to my parents, and they instantly loved her too. And soon our wedding was being planned. It wasn't long after we were married that she became pregnant with you, and I discovered just how deep her dark side really was. I had come home early from work at the hospital one night to find her standing over the body of a man in our kitchen. She was covered in blood from head to toe. I was so shocked that I could barely move. I'd seen a lot of death during my ER residency, but this was something else. She just calmly looked at me and said, this is what I do when I'm bored and you're absent for too long before walking away. I knew then that I had married a very dangerous woman and that my life would never be the same. I convinced myself that I could change her, that I could help her get better, but it quickly became clear that that was not going to happen. She enjoyed killing too much, more and more frequently. I'd come home to find another victim that she would now expect me to just dispose of. One night, I just couldn't take it anymore. I did the only thing I could do to protect you and others. I locked her away in the basement. I couldn't bear the thought of her harming you or herself in prison. So, I took matters into my own hands. I still love her dearly to this day. It hasn't been easy keeping her down there, especially after you were born, but I did it for you. I love you, my daughter, and I hope that you can find it in your heart to one day forgive me for keeping this from you. I know it's probably impossible to believe, but it's the truth. She is still there, locked in the basement. I have enclosed a key with this letter, in case you ever want to see her for yourself. There's a trap door beneath the large freezer in the back room of the basement. This will lead you to her room. She's probably running low on supplies as you read this. Just please be careful. As meek and mild as she may seem, she really is a dangerous creature. I love you always, your father. At the end of the dark, narrow corridor dug into the ground under her father's house. Catherine stood before a large metal door. She could feel her heart pounding in her throat. She hesitated her fingers trembling as she reached for the large, cold metal handle. She took a deep breath and whispered a silent prayer before slowly pushing the heavy door open. Drip, drip, drip. The sound of dripping water sent chills down my spine. I tried to ignore it, but it was impossible. With each drip, I felt my sanity slip away. It was very possible that I was completely losing my grip on reality. The water was coming from the bathroom sink. I knew I could just go in there and turn it off, but I was too afraid. In my younger years, I used to have a reoccurring nightmare, a nightmare. That has plagued my mind once more these last few days. I'm in my bed and I hear a drip, drip, drip coming from the bathroom. I get out of bed and see a figure in the bathroom, shrouded in darkness. The figure turns to look at me, its eyes glowing a bright red. I try to scream, but no sound escapes my mouth. Paralyzed by fear, I have no choice but to stand and watch as the figure slowly walks towards me. I would wake up right before it reached me, screaming and covered in sweat. Tonight, it's different. I know I'm awake. I was woken up by an alert on my phone. A message from my roommate said she wasn't expecting to be home tonight. I was just settling back down to sleep when I heard it. Drip, drip, drip. What if there really was something lurking in the shadows, waiting to grab me? I wasn't about to take that risk. I'd prefer to stay in the safety of my bed. Drip, drip, drip. I held my pillow tightly across my face, almost to the point of suffocation. I tried to block out the sound. It was like a siren call beckoning me to my doom. I could feel myself being pulled towards the bathroom, even as I tried hard to resist. Drip, drip, drip. The dripping water became louder and more insistent. I could feel my grip on reality slipping further. Out of reach. This is just a dream. It can't really be happening. Just go to the bathroom and it will all be over. I just had to face whatever was there. Reluctantly, I got out of bed and slowly made my way to the bathroom, my heart pounding in my chest. Terrified of what I might see if I kept moving. Unlike the nightmares before, the bathroom door was closed. Slowly, I pushed open the door, half expecting something to jump out at me. But there was nothing there, just the sound of dripping water coming from the sink. I breathed a sigh of relief, laughing at my stupidity whilst tightening the tap. The dripping stopped. My relief was short-lived. A glimpse in the mirror caught my attention as I turned to leave. I saw something that made my blood run cold. A figure stood behind me. Its bright red eyes penetrated my soul. I didn't even manage a scream as it lunged for me and dragged me into the darkness. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched, only to turn around and not see anyone? A ghost-like presence staring down the back of your body, silently observing your every move. If only it was a feeling, but the truth is so much darker. I always had a feeling that I was being watched, a feeling of eyes upon my body. The doctors gave it a technical term scopesthesia, they called it. Supposedly, it was a part of my anxiety and paranoia, but it always felt so real to me. I could never explain why, but I never really tried to understand it either. However, in recent times, the feeling had become more frequent and, so I sought more help from common medicine, but the medication I was prescribed Did nothing to aid my affliction. I tried seeing if there was anyone behind me when I got these feelings, or if an animal was watching, but no results came from my attempts. I was always alone when the feeling took effect total isolation. Nothing came out of any attempts to source the feeling until I decided to look into a mirror. I sat totally still, waiting in front of a mirror, waiting for the feeling to come again. And when it did, what I saw sickened me. Behind me stood a tall, grotesque man-like creature with sickly pale-stretched skin and long claws with hundreds of eyes upon its body staring directly at me. Unfortunately. I made eye contact with one of its many eyes and it stared directly into my very soul and then in a blink it was gone. Horrified by what I saw, I attempted to go to my computer and see if anyone had seen what I had. But as I made my way there I saw it. In the distance was the creature. No longer did it stalk me from behind now that I was aware of its presence. Things had definitely changed, for as it came closer I could smell it. The foul stench of rotting flesh and sulfur invaded my senses, and I only watched in despair as it neared my person. I don't know why I didn't run, or if I could even run, for fear itself had sunken my feet into the ground and prevented my escape. Nearer it came until it stood directly in front of me, its main eye larger than the rest, located where a mouth usually was, split open, and its elongated tongue came out and licked my neck. Its tongue felt like acid as it licked my skin, its slick saliva leaving decayed flesh in its wake. As I squirmed in its grasp, I could hear it chuckling as it took great mirth in my discomfort. After taking one final taste, the creature sunk its claws into my flesh, marking me as its meal for a later date. It left me there with only my mind processing the event thrust upon me. I know not how much time I have left until the creature comes to feast, for my death is most certain. Heed my warning and never look for the eyes that watch. When my face started peeling, I thought it was the new face wash I had recently bought My friend recommended it, and it was rated 10 on the best of lists on several websites. I was disappointed because the first few times I used it, I really liked it, but I couldn't chance it. I threw the cleanser in the trash. Two days later, my face was still peeling, and it was much worse. It was so dry, the texture akin to snakeskin. I raked my mind for a possible cause, but couldn't think of any. Not only did it look disgusting, but it itched like absolute hell. I found myself scratching absentmindedly. I scratched so hard that I drew blood. I only noticed when I glimpsed my red fingertips. My no-beds were clogged with chunks of skin. I finally realized that something was very wrong when I went to get my hair done. I went to my stylist to get my standard summer box braids. When she was done, she dipped my braids into a boiling pot of water and carefully wrapped my hair in a towel so I wouldn't get burned. When she took the towel away she gasped and my heart thumped painfully. ''What's wrong?'' I asked, but she didn't answer. I snatched her mirror off the table and peered at my reflection. I screamed. Every braid had come out of my head. Some clung to my scalp, hanging by bloody, vicious threads. I watched as a trail of dark blood slowly dripped from my skull and trickled down my nose. I slammed down the mirror and ran outside to my car. I blocked the stylist as she repeatedly called me to ask for payment. By the time I got home, all of my hair was gone. Every single strand, and most, if not all, of my scalp. My skin fell off in long, bloody strips. My face formed boils that burst and spurted foul, yellow pus. My eyes, which have always been my best feature were now wet with thick mucus and yellow like the eyes of a reptile. I looked into those eyes, my once beautiful eyes, and... Oh my God, I remember. It was a memory I had tossed aside because I didn't deem it important to remember. My cousin's birthday was a week ago. She had always been into that mystic spooky bullshit... The woman she hired referred to herself as a spiritualist. She told us we were going to host a seance. She ignored my laugh and the roll of my eyes. We lit red candles and turned off the lights, and then we sat in a circle and held hands. The spiritualist started chanting, and it made me uneasy. When I opened my eyes, she was staring at me. I had drank quite a bit, and it annoyed me I had to sit through this shit. So childishly, I stuck my tongue out at her. She kept looking at me, but I refused to back down. And then, she smiled, and everything went black. I was trapped in a sea of fire, and everything was burning. I tried to scream, but my mouth was sewn shut. My skin bubbled, blackened, and peeled. I saw her then. She had her back turned to me. She was tall and thin and had the most beautiful black hair I had ever seen. And then she looked at me. I screamed. My fear wrenched my lips apart. The woman had no face and her skin was mottled blue, black, and gray. She lurched towards me and tapped my forehead with a gnarled finger. She caressed the contours of my cheeks encircled the hollows of my eyes and traced patterns on my lips. She gripped the underside of my jaw and with surprising strength, she sank her fingers into my flesh and tore my face off. The world burned and I screamed again. I never thought it possible to scream without lips. She molded my face onto her skull and then she smiled at me. My body sank into fire and I burned. When I awoke, I was on the floor dripping wet and reeking of alcohol. My cousin and her friends surrounded me. They looked confused and concerned. What happened? I asked, snatching the towel offered to me. My cousin told me I had fallen and then started screaming. They don't know what to do, so she, my cousin, threw a glass of wine on me. Where the F is she? I spat. I took out my compact mirror and vigorously checked my flawless reflection. Where is who? My cousin asked. That B word, I said. That spiritualist, she did this. She did something to me. My cousin looked at me as though I were crazy. There was no spiritualist here, Bree, she gestured to her friends. Just us. She peered at me. Are you sure you're okay? I think you might have drank too much. I pushed past her to grab another glass of wine. No, the problem is I haven't drunk enough. So, I drank more and I forgot. I forced myself to forget. I didn't believe in the supernatural. At least, I never used to. But now, I'm losing everything, so I believe. I believe some ugly demon bitch had taken my face and given me hers. Every time I look at my reflection, I cry. What else do I have if I'm no longer beautiful? I am not known for kindness. My personality does not win me friends. I have always been an indescribable beauty. The kind of beauty that countries go to war over. And now I am a monster because some jealous beast thing stole my effing face. I don't know what to do anymore. I am tired of crying. It hurts. My tears burn and make holes in my skin. I've been holed up in the bathroom for days now. I broke my mirror with my fist and shattered it with my brittle bones. There are shards everywhere. Reflections of me. I can't escape it. I can't run from myself. I give up. To you, you demonic bitch. Congrats, you win. I no longer want to see what I look like. I am tired of seeing my soul reflected back at me. I want to see her again. You know, for a final showdown. I want my face back. It's mine. It's always been mine. She doesn't come, though. And why would she? I am so tired. I'll close my eyes and rest for a moment. I just want to sleep because if I sleep, then perhaps I will dream. And I will get lost in the memory of my beauty. Audio Log 492 This is Fyodor Konolov, Russian deer hunter. And this is Audio Log 492 creature in the wood. One evening, when I was on my cabin's porch, scoping out for any deer along my dog Dimitri, I heard some kind of animal call. However, it was a call of an animal I haven't heard before. It wasn't an elk or anything I've heard before, so I went to investigate the strange call. And that's when the chaotic crap unraveled. I was wandering through the forest, with trees that seemed to stretch on further than the human eye can see, and thorn bushes, stinging nettle, poison ivy and much more, almost everywhere. The animal call got louder as I continued deep into the forest, and I eventually reached the source of the call. It was some big, ugly-looking devil that looked like a gigantic deer or elf of some sort the creature turned its head faster than an owl can and looked directly at me I pulled out my rifle and shouted stay back I'm warning you however it didn't listen and started running directly after me I ran as fast as I could away from it I wasn't trained for this crap I ran back through the forest, through the thorn bushes, poison ivy, stinging nettle, etc. I looked behind myself and saw it wasn't behind me, so I sighed and slowly walked back to my cabin, only to see my dog, Dimitri, dead with massive scratch marks on his back. What the F? I shouted. All right, then. You mess with my dog, you'll have a word or two with my rifle. Do you hear me? The monster emerged from the bushes and rushed right for me, to where I landed a shot right on his eye, and the creature collapsed right onto the ground, as it was now dead. I walked up close to it, and I recognized it to be what the folks on my hunting grounds call a Wendigo. This marks the end of audio log 492, Fyodor Konilov, out. When I was little, I thought everyone's sight worked the same as mine. Everyone's eyes darted towards the newcomer in a room of stillness, or somebody's waving hand in a crowd but I always assumed everyone shared the same reason for this. For some people, the instinct is part of some sort of survival mechanism alerting you to something new and possibly dangerous. For me, it's because the faster something moves, the clearer I see it. My normal vision is a little below average, corrected with glasses, but... If an object moves quickly in my field of vision, then I can see it in incredible detail. It never really came up, though, before the seizures. Everyone thinks they're normal until they're told otherwise, and I was no different. I got my first seizure on a school sports day. I was only just a teenager, and I'd heard of epilepsy, but nobody I knew had it. I collapsed and started shaking so fast I was almost vibrating, scaring my friend but terrifying me even more. I'd never tried moving quickly while staying in the same place before, and thanks to the seizure, I was finding out what that does to my vision. I saw the sports field in unbearable detail, and hidden beyond normal sight, there were these unfocused things that only lurked around the people who were upset. I looked at them and I knew they saw me. There was no point in telling anyone. Normal people don't see things like that. So, I kept it a secret and it ate away at me as these things followed me into my adult life feeding off the people around me. Most people I saw with one of these things talking to them were crying the only two I saw touched by them, they didn't make it. Maybe that's why I married Jared in the end. I knew he didn't really love me, but if I attracted creatures like that, then I must be broken, surely. My caesars called them to me. It was like as soon as my head shook fast enough to see them, I was a beacon they crowded me and fed off my bystanders as I wondered when they'd finally finish me off. Until Jared slapped me, that is. The pain wasn't new, but usually I took it silently so my squill earned contempt. Really? I barely touched you, you attention-seeking B-word. I understood then, and we have a lamp that is so broken That it can trigger my seizures. Jared says he'll fix it so I am neither allowed to complain nor fix it myself. I clicked the switch and stared at my husband. The creatures came quickly at first and fed on the bystander I provided. All the pain he'd caused me was given back and then some. I should thank him really. He helped me figure out that I'll always be safe from these monsters. All they want from me is to be seen. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these short, scary stories. I trust that you are sleeping well, and Slumberland is treating you even kinder. If you are awake listening to these stories, I hope that you enjoyed. Until next time, I'll be reading to you soon. Have a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night.